What's up, Bandive crew? James here. And before we jump into this episode, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever wished there was a way to connect with me as well as other listeners in real time? I have the solution. I finally got around to making a Bandive Discord server, which is people have been asking me for years and I just wasn't listening. I wish I had done this sooner because I couldn't be happier with the results. It's been fantastic. And we would love to see you join us. We have discussions about the music business, gear, the podcast, and a general channel as well. You can join the discussion now by visiting bandhive.rocks slash discord. Again, that is bandhive.rocks slash discord. Welcome to episode 28 of the Bandhive podcast. You're listening to the Bandhive podcast, the number one online resource for DIY bands to learn about the music business and touring. If you want to turn your band into a lean, mean touring machine, you're in the right place. Now, let's get this show on the road. All right, it is time for another episode of the Bandhive podcast. My name is James Cross, and I'm here once again with Matt Hose of Alive in Barcelona. How are you today, Matt? I'm doing pretty stellar today, James. How about yourself? That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. And things are good here. I mean, we're recording this at the end of May, and the pandemic is... Somewhat holding steady, at least here in the States. Some states are worse than others, but in Vermont, we've been reporting about two new cases per day for the last two weeks. So we're very lucky here in Vermont. How is it over your way in Colorado? Well, last week they reduced the number of deaths by 25% from 1,100 to 800-ish. So things are, are looking better. You know, it's all... Who knows anymore? There's so much misinformation out there that I don't care about what's happening. I just care about the implications of what happens. I just want people to stay safe and everything to keep moving forward. So we'll find out in, in another couple of months, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really glad that the death rate or rather the amount of people dying is going down. And I can't wait till that hits zero because even one person gone from COVID is too many. So we're going to totally shift from that dark note. Just wanted to let people know kind of what state the world is in while we're recording this in case it changes and flip-flops by the time this episode comes out in two weeks. Today, we're going to talk about two key marketing techniques that artists can use to boost their careers. And sometimes it might even seem that this is unintentional, but many times Artists have set this up intentionally, and they are very, very aware of what they are doing. So we want to kind of drill that into your brains that this is something every artist should be paying attention to. Now, Matt, you're the expert here. I'm just going to hand over the reins on this episode to you and let you go through it. And if I have any questions, I will pipe up. Awesome. Sounds good. So today we're going to be talking about two different uh, marketing techniques. Now, We've talked a lot about marketing in the past, and there's lots of different ways that you can market. I know you've heard us use phrases like put your best foot forward in uh, past episodes. And I really want to hit that home and talk about that in relation to image or visual marketing. One very powerful technique that marketers have started using in the social media age is using a photo to imprint an idea on the minds of their audience or their consumers. When you as a consumer or when you as a concert goer or when you were a young kid and you uh, went on to your favorite band's social media pages, you'd look at their pictures and you'd see how they were dressed, 
you'd see the size of the crowds that they were playing to. You know, a lot of the time these are emulated in things like music videos. You'll see a music video where where a band records the crowd during one of their their awesome performances. Then they release these videos. You'll notice that very, very, very rarely do you see images of a hit artist playing to 10 people. Very rarely do you see a music video where August Burns Red is on stage going hard and it pans to the crowd and there's nobody there. That just doesn't happen. You know why? Because it would be a mistake to release that footage. That puts a bad visual in people's mind surrounding that band. So let's say you play 30 shows a year and 29 of those shows, you know, you're playing to 20 or 30 kids. Well, then you have that one show in your hometown. Maybe it's a huge touring act is coming through and there you're playing a 1500 cap venue and it, the show is sold out. That's the show that you want to double down on. That's the show that you want to get your footage from. That's the show you want your pictures from. You want as much marketing content as you can possibly get from that experience. Because the reason those kids and those, you know, the, the 20 or 30 kids are coming out to your other shows is because they're seeing these images of you playing in front of, you know, a thousand people. That mentality of other people want it, so therefore it has value is very, very prominent in visual marketing. You put out a picture that shows you playing to 10 kids, people think that all of your shows have 10 kids at them. However, if you put out a picture or a small little DVD of you guys playing to 500 or 1,000 people, then that's the presupposition people set in their head. And this goes, I mean, this is the same way even when you go to a concert. I still remember when I was 15 years old and I went to go see Emery in concert. When I got there, I was blown away at how many people were not at the show. In my mind, I had listened to Emery, you know, I had listened to him since I was a kid. And in my mind, they were, they were huge. You know, I had seen pictures on, the, on their social medias of them playing to tons of people. When I saw them in concert, it was underwhelming. And I realized years later that it was because I had this preconformed bias I thought in my mind, wow, these guys have this professional sounding record. They put out some images or videos that have them playing in front of large crowds. So in my mind, I think, wow, these guys, these guys play in front of large crowds every night, which made me want to go even more. It was this subliminal marketing where they used images of them playing to large crowds to incentivize me wanting to be a part of that event. Now, very rarely... Do people say, wow, I really want to go to that concert that has two people at it? The artist might be phenomenal, but in reality, they want to go to those shows where, you know, like you can go get in the mosh pit, everybody's shoving each other around, being respectful, you're packed shoulder to shoulder. You know, those are the memories that you walk away from concerts with. You're like, you know, I, I'm sure we've all met that diehard 40 year old metalhead guy who's like, oh man, back when I saw Slipknot. I got elbowed in the face and kicked in the ribs and, oh, I'm going to remember this concert forever. You know, and it was these really weird things that, that they end up remembering. It was sweating too much, getting elbowed, like crowd surfing. You know, it was all about the event. So your visual marketing 
when you enter the scene, you're starting off by building this pre-confirmation bias in their mind that they are going to be able to create a moment at your event. If I think there's nobody going to be there, I'm less incentivized to go there. If I think there's a ton of people going to be there, I'm more incentivized to go, especially if I have one of my friends say, are you going to go to the the new Emory concert? Like, oh yeah, I totally am. Sweet. Now you have somebody to go with. Now it feels even bigger. And so now you definitely want to be a part of it. The bigger the event, the more people like to be a part of it. You know, and, and this is true of anything you can look at, you know, price tickets of, of any event, you know, the, the fewer the price tickets, the more expensive they are, the more popular the the event gets, the more expensive they become. You know, this is why EDM festivals, you know, you people are paying three to five hundred dollars for a ticket. It's going to be packed. Everybody's, you know, they're probably going to be over capacity and it's going to be the event of a lifetime. And that's how they market it. Yeah. And everybody wants to look at these concerts and go, holy cow, look at those lights. Look at the size of those stacks. I could literally sit inside of that subwoofer. These are visual triggers that really are tipping points in people's mind. Not everybody wants to go to the same style of show. And so when you're, you know, when you're posting pictures, there's different things that you can use as a way to trigger this visual marketing. This is why people wear nice clothes. Like I'll be the first to tell you that if you honestly think rich people or social influencers or Instagram models or any of these people, if you honestly believe that they wear Louis Vuitton every day or Gucci every day, like you're jaded. It's a very bad thought because Chances are these guys are like getting paid to wear those products or they are very heavily pushing into this visual marketing platform where they're trying to portray themselves as rich, powerful. And ironically, the things that end up coming from that is the money and the fame. I've said it for years. It's always funny to listen to a rapper rap about having lots of money or doing lots of drugs or sleeping with lots of people. And then for some reason that makes the mass mentality, it triggers those things. So like Drake is a perfect example where he made a song about sleeping with Nicki Minaj. It wasn't even a song. It, it was a, a rumor. They started this rumor. And so, and he did so by posting a picture of him with Nicki Minaj. This started a rumor that perpetuated into this actually happening and them having a relationship. And what's crazy is I honestly think Drake is one of the best visual marketers that's ever walked the planet because Drake was the number one selling artist. He went from nowhere to being the number one selling artist. And he did so by recording a song that had three A-list names on it besides himself. And after that, he went around and he took pictures with everybody in Young Money. So he took pictures with Lil Wayne, with... Nicki Minaj, he posted those pictures and guess what he said in his marketing? His marketing said, young money signs new artist. He starts posting these pictures everywhere. And what does that do? It gets people talking. Well, then everybody's saying, oh my gosh, young money signed this guy. Well, let's listen to his music. Well, then they listened to his music. He had hit songs. He had A-list artists. He had Visual marketing that went along with with his narrative, where you know him, he had posted pictures of him with all the people under uh, Little Wayne's label. Lo and behold, Young Money signs him. This was something that he perpetuated a rumor. 
using visual marketing. All he did was post a picture and a simple little phrase. And then what happens? It actually happened because enough people start to believe it that certain people in the industry realize, oh, there's a lot of money here. Look at how happy the people are about this guy being signed to Young Money. Okay, well, let's actually sign him. And that's both a smart business move on Drake's part and also a very smart move on Lil Wayne's part. He saw an opportunity and he capitalized on it as well. Drake uses visual marketing time and time again. And lo and behold, I think we all remember when Taylor Swift was really hitting the height of her career. And Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift still never became the number one selling artist. When she was doing the best things that she had ever done in her career, she was still dwarfed by Drake, a random kid who posted pictures saying that he had been signed to a label that he hadn't actually been signed to. That right there is visual marketing used to the maximum. This is an incredible technique, and it's also, you know, there's definitely gray area with it, because did he lie? Absolutely. Was he trying to manipulate people in order to gain fame? Yes. And you can dive into the gray area all you want. But at the same time, what I want to focus on is how that marketing literally led him to being the number one selling artist of all time. Like, that's incredible. You should never post a picture that makes you look like a lesser artist. So if you have an, a picture of you playing to 10 people, delete it. You, you don't need that. You know, if you have a picture of people crowd surfing to try to get on stage while the lights are coming down, it's like, yeah, post that picture. That's what people want to see. They want that moment. And so you use this visual marketing, you use your image, and this is directly correlated to your brand. Because how you dress on a regular basis is your brand. We all know what Post Malone looks like. And why do we know that? Because of how he dresses, his face tattoos, his grill. He has very, I don't want to say unique traits anymore, because there's a lot of people in the rap world who are using a lot of those imagery techniques, but he definitely stands out. I know that probably, you know, seven out of ten modern-day musicians would be able to identify Post Malone in a crowd. Same thing with uh, whatever that snitch guy, 6ix9ine, or whatever. You know, everybody everybody hates him, but everybody remembers, like, even if you don't know his name, you're like, oh, who's that snitch guy who has rainbow-colored hair? That's double visual marketing, because one, everybody remembers that this guy is covered from head to toe in rainbows, but they also remember seeing him in a suit, testifying in court. And that is the worst visual marketing that he ever had. It literally caused so many people to talk about him, say, you know, he's a snitch, he's horrible, he's going to get killed by these gang members, blah, 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 this, which might all be true. Who knows? That's all conjecture. What I do know is that the song that he released after he was released from prison had the most views in a 24-hour period, I think, and, I mean, since the last crazy, huge viral song. And and this is a guy who really was only known in the rap world. You know, 6 9 was not, I don't, I don't even know how to say his name. That's how, I don't know if it's 6 9 or 69 or, or what. But this visual marketing perpetuated his career. Sometimes it can be negative. Sometimes it can be positive. He has an image, so you instantly recognize him when you see him. And then he also had some visual marketing that caused a lot of people to talk about him. Those two things combined are a powerhouse.
Now, hopefully, people are talking about you for good things. But in the world that we live in, psychologically, the average person will tell 10 people about a negative experience that they have or a negative thought. The average person will tell two to three people about something exciting in their life. So positive emotions upon being you know, dissected, they realize they don't go as far as negative emotions. This is where we get phrases like, there's no such thing as bad press, because even bad press has a tendency to go a lot further than good press. And a lot of the times people are then going to make their own opinions and their own judgment from whatever you're posting. Asking Alexandria's lead singer, Danny Warsnop, had a drinking problem. And his drinking problem put them on the map. He literally would get hammered and it would be an embarrassment. And the videos would go everywhere. There's there's still videos of them at their first show. They sound awful. You can probably Google Danny Warsnop drunk and, and still find tons of content. He got sober. Then people stopped talking about them. And so their manager actually staged a video where he got Danny drunk before one of the shows. So drunk to the point where he was passing out on stage. That video went viral. Their show, horrible. But that terrible news, that visual marketing of this performer being too drunk to stand on stage went everywhere. Asking Alexandria has had a successful career ever since. Now, the method is questionable and it honestly really stinks because, you know, Danny then had years and years of, uh, of bad press, you know, and it was literally exploitation of somebody's weakness. And so I, you know, I, I don't think that's a good way to do it. But again, my point is not to focus on the bad thing or the struggle, you know, somebody was subjected to something and that's bad, but the marketing that came around from it and the way that it was marketed ended up causing more people to see it than ever would have. This is powerful and if not used correctly is risky and can be very irresponsible. It's all about how you're going to portray yourself. This goes back to brand. This goes back to your image. You know, this is all one type package. You use this visual marketing to portray something. And then from there, if you have bad news, people that can then go in and watch a video or, or, you know, I say, oh, look, this guy did this terrible thing in this video. And somebody says, oh, now I want to watch the video to see what terrible thing he did. Because people are naturally curious, that's actually what has perpetuated a lot of our marketing uh, world in general. It's why when you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, you see videos that say like, you won't believe what happens at two minutes and 38 seconds. You know, they're using these marketing strategies to try to get you to watch at least two minutes and 38 seconds of their video, because that's probably when they receive their maximum amount of payout from YouTube or whatever corresponding streamer is moving their product. I recently just saw a video where a guy was talking about how passive income is a myth. And I thought it was hilarious because this was a YouTube video where people were watching it, had hundreds of, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of views. And he's sitting there talking about how passive revenue is a myth. Meanwhile, he is literally making passive revenue from this video. And so he was appealing to this preconformed bias in people's heads. Like, you know, people who are struggling to get ahead monetarily are thinking, oh, I read this self-help book. It says I need to work on passive income. Oh, but I'm not really sure how to do that. And then here comes this video that says passive income is fake. Well, that naturally makes people curious. So then they want to go and figure out what's going on. 
well, they watch this. It, this appeals to their preconformed bias. And meanwhile, this guy is making passive revenue by telling you that you can't make passive revenue. It's a crazy world we live in. This is all part of visual marketing. It's, you know, image, how you portray yourself and how you look to the world. Eminem and MGK. We all know about the kill shot rap devil beef. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that both of those songs were co-writes. They had ghostwriters. And that ghostwriter was not only featured on both of their songs, but he was also the producer who produced both of those songs. Ronnie J, a.k.a. Ronald Spence Jr. He was a ghostwriter and a producer on both of those tracks. He knew exactly how to take an image or take something that somebody did and immediately give this preconformed bias to everybody in the world. It was really easy. Eminem put out an album, and 24 hours later, MGK put out a music video. For most of us at the professional level in the music industry, we all know that it's very, very hard to write a song, get a beat made, get into the studio, and make a music video in 24 hours. As a matter of fact, I would say almost all of us say that that's impossible because your video editor is going to need more time than that. Your producer is going to need more time than that. You will probably need more time than that writing the song. I mean, even finding a beat might take you a longer period of time than that if you don't already have somebody who consistently makes beats for you. And so... 24 hours later, perpetuating, you know, literally following off this cascading trail. Everybody's talking about Eminem's album. And so he drops this song and instantly everybody's like, oh my gosh, MGK let him have it. Well, then Ronnie J says, yeah, wait like a week and then you drop your song. And then it'll seem like you guys are like the apex of writing because when you released these songs and then on top of that, everybody's going to think that you guys really hate each other, but you don't. I mean, you literally work with the same producers, the same songwriters. You're in the same circles. But people are going to think that you hate each other. And then one step further, I'm sure when everybody remembers when MGK went out on stage at Fall Out Boy's concert wearing the kill shot uh, image art on his T-shirt with his middle fingers up. That image that got released to the world made it look like so many people were on MGK's side in the battle. But really, MGK just showed up at a Fall Out Boy concert and rapped a couple lines and people thought it was cool. Then he turns around, he gets this picture and a bunch of people were actually really irritated at it because a lot of those fans were Eminem fans. But he was using all of these people here to show fake support for his cause. He used visual marketing to literally trick everybody in the world. Meanwhile, the two of them are sitting back together counting their stacks of money. It's how you portray yourself. If you take pictures every day of you sitting around stacks of cash, people are going to think you're rich. If you spend every single day making videos of you like feeding the homeless people, people are going to think you're this, you know, altruist. It's how you portray yourself. It's how you brand yourself that people are really going to hold on to. Visual marketing is awesome. It's powerful, but it's dangerous. You have to make sure that what you're doing is not only going to further your brand, but it's also, in my opinion, it shouldn't tarnish your name. And if you want to run your own name through the dirt, that's one thing. But a lot of us that are in bands, you have to think about, you know, how you represent everybody that's in your group as well. And so if you guys are going to take some sort of marketing approach like that, it's very important for you all to sit down together and work on everything. All right. Well, Matt, that's awesome. Thank you so much for the insight into visual marketing and all the examples. I think that'll really help to paint a picture in our listeners' minds of what exactly they should be doing and what they should not be doing. You know, I'm sure there are cases where 
this was done and it really was bad. Like if you think about Fire Festival, that was all visual marketing and it was a total disaster. So artists should be able to back that up. And obviously artists typically aren't planning giant festivals in the Caribbean. (laughs) Moving on, can you go through trigger marketing for us? Absolutely. Trigger marketing is kind of a newer term. It surfaced more uh, after viral marketing uh, started becoming a a common thing in the digital world. And uh, what trigger marketing is, is you're using specific triggers in order to market your music, which I know that kind of sounds circular, but let's use the example. It's my favorite one. The song Friday by Rebecca Black. And we all know the gotta get down on Friday. This song was ridiculous. This is why it went viral. Some people thought it was catchy. Some people thought it was funny. Everybody kind of thought it was ridiculous. Half the community wasn't sure if it was a joke or not. I don't know if Rebecca Black and her family even thought it was a joke or not. Or if it was really just a opportunity for a rich kid to feel like a rock star. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. A lot of people saw this as, oh, this song went viral because a lot of people were making fun of it. Humor does go a long way and is an activating emotion. So that is a very, very good theory. But if you actually study a little bit closer the analytics of the song Friday, on a week-to-week basis, it has a jump in streams. Guess what day? It's always on Friday. Always. And that's because even the people that thought it was funny, they put that song on and it's this wonderful sense of camaraderie. It's, it really is a moment, kind of like what I was talking about earlier. You really want to give people a moment. Well, in people's lives, that might be, wow, this was hilarious when this song came out. And so, like, I'm going to play this joke song every so often. Same reason people play Weird Al still. One of my personal favorite songs, I am very much so a uh, product of this as well. Every morning when I'm going outside to do some work, I like listening to the song Good Morning by Max Frost. It is a slapping track that, you know, his lyrics are, baby, it's a brand new day. Ain't no cloud coming over me. And it's just like a song about not letting anything get in his way for, you know, for the day. And, and it's awesome. And so it's like this wonderful mantra of like positivity in the early morning. And the song is literally called Good Morning. It's a trigger because I want to have a good morning. So I play that song and that helps put me in the mindset for it. People on Friday, they got to get down on Friday. They play Rebecca Black. Saturday by Fallout Boy. Closing time. How many people have worked at a restaurant or at a coffee shop who play closing time at the end of their shift? I know quite a few of them. And honestly, that song was popular when I was a kid. And it still breaks in streams on a regular, regular basis. The Cure. Friday. I'm in love. That's another one that routinely sees an increase in streams. These are songs that trigger things in people's mind. When you say like, oh yeah, gotta get down on Friday, most of the time that song is being played on Friday and it is triggered by your knowledge of it being Friday, but really what you're you're excited for is the thought of it becoming the weekend. So all of these things were marketed in an incredible way to where you don't even necessarily know that it's marketing, but just the word in the song triggers something in your brain. It's much more of a uh, subliminal marketing than... It's not super right in your face. It's not like, boom, flash sale. You know, this is a huge sale. We don't put banners up in the windows. We put little trigger words inside of our songs. And those trigger words 
end up, you know, simulating something. A lot of pop music in general is a clever f- turn of phrase. A lot of the time, y- your hook, I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head, even in Max Frost, Good Morning, you know, it's a brand new day. Brand New Day is a song by a few other artists. So there's like this slight homage that he's paying to other artists like Sting. And there's also, there's a temporal marketing because that song gets played more in the morning than in the evening. People aren't getting ready for bed and playing, baby, it's a brand new day. Well, because guess what? It's not a brand new day. It is an evening. It's re- you're, you're getting ready for bed. It might be closing time. You know, closing time doesn't get played at opening. And so these subliminal marketing techniques really get people to play your music without even necessarily thinking about it. I don't think a lot of people really set out when they're writing a song to say, how can I subliminally market to someone? I don't think people are saying, oh, you know what? This song Saturday by Fall Out Boy. The song Saturday isn't necessarily even about Saturday. It's about him hanging out with his friends and things start to get more fun in the wake of Saturday is one of the lines that he has in the song. And so he's, he's actually talking about experiences with his friends, but the song is called Saturday. So even I myself sometimes will put that song on, on a Saturday. You don't have to think about that necessarily when you're writing, but it is always good to write with the end in mind. And this can be a simple little thing. Maybe it's what you name your song. Song titles don't have to be the exact same as, you know, the chorus or things like that, or it might, you know, be an analogy or represent a point or or something to that effect. And so it's a little bit more of a hard market. It's a hard strategy to kind of follow through. But when you have those little, like, I don't want to say safety nets, but there's just a little extra buffer. Like nobody could have expected Rebecca Black's Friday to go viral. Nobody could have expected that. That's what virality means. But you can... Now, week to week, expect that she is going to have an increased number of streams every Friday. This is a fantastic strategy. It's hard to integrate, but it's something you should sit down with everybody in your band. You guys should all talk about it and say like, hey guys, is there any way that we might be able to put some of this trigger marketing into our music? Like maybe we use a popular phrase or, uh, you know, like cash me outside. How about that? That's a turn of phrase that this girl has made popular. And guess what? That girl started with some visual marketing. She made herself seem like she was some sort of badass and that she didn't respect anyone or anything. And now she has a successful rap career. She is probably a multimillionaire. She's a social influencer. She's ridiculous, but that's because that's how she branded herself. She decided she wanted to take the negative approach and say like, oh, yeah, let's get all these people talking about me. And then... You know, if everybody talks about me and then I start a music career, well, then all the people who don't think that I'm a disgusting human being will solicit to my product. So sit down with your bandmates, talk about what it would look like to try and implement trigger words into your brand, your business, your music. Maybe it's just names of a song. Maybe it's, you know, uh, lyrics in a song. But if you can you know, find good ways to put that in, it's very, very beneficial. And trigger marketing is, I think, in the long term. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of this come up in the future where people have really developed a strategy that makes their songs succeed long term. And it's trigger words like this that really help music stand the test of time. Yeah, I think those are all great points. And I really like what you're saying because it's kind of something that's come around in the last decade or so. And it seems that it was inadvertent originally 
but now artists are turning around and doing it intentionally. And thinking back, I know Chevelle way back in the day had a song called Saturday or Saturdays, something like that. And you don't see that song popping up, but I'm sure that's because it's so old. If that song were released now, that would be getting plays every Saturday. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they see a little bump, but it's not going to be as popular as Fall Out Boy or Friday by Rebecca Black. But then it's interesting to see The Cure, because that song's even older than the Chevelle song. But that's also kind of a classic, whereas Chevelle's song wasn't one of their hits. It was like an album cut. So I think it's really cool to see how this all works out. And I guess I just want to add that even for a smaller local or regional artist, this could still have a big boost because if you have 100 people listening to you or 500 people listening to you and they add a song that reminds them of something, whether it's a day or an action or who knows what, to a playlist or they just play that song when that thing is happening, that's huge. If even... 10% of your 100 fans do that, that's an extra 10 plays a week just because you use trigger marketing. This is really something that's important and I think, at least for now, is the way of the future. Absolutely. You know, coming out of COVID, it's really going to be interesting to see what bands make it and what bands don't. And really the thing that's going to set them apart is how they market their product. I was blown away at how long it took me to find a single ad of somebody being like, yeah, for every product we sell, we'll donate some money to the manufacturing of COVID tests or we'll purchase a mask, you know, for somebody who doesn't have one. It literally took a month and a half to find those ads, which I think was absolutely insane. Use whatever marketing opportunities you have in your favor. And you can really, really, really capitalize on your already established fan base, but also create new opportunities for yourself in the future. And that is it for another episode of the Bandhive podcast. To all of you listening, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we're really thankful to have our listeners who come back every single episode, as well as anybody who just tunes in once in a while or our newer listeners who are just getting started listening to this podcast. Thank you so much to each and every one of you. If you'd like to stay in touch, we do have a free Facebook community that you're welcome to join. Just search for Bandhive on Facebook or go to bandhive.rocks group to automatically be redirected to our Facebook group. I hope you all have an awesome week. We'll be back with another new episode next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Eastern time. And of course, as always, keep rocking. Hey, you. Yeah, you with the headphones or the speakers. You've made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. While I still have you here, if you're not already in the Bandhive Facebook community, it would be great to see you there. We have over 600 like-minded musicians who are asking questions, sharing their experiences and advice, and much more. So if you want to improve your band's business, look no further than the Bandhive Facebook community. You can find it by searching for Bandhive on Facebook, that's B-A-N-D-H-I-V-E, or going to bandhive.rocks slash group. Again, that's bandhive.rocks slash group, and that will automatically redirect you to our Facebook community. I look forward to seeing you there soon.